Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out Toronto today for December 19th. Great to be back in the chair, and we'll be here all week for shows all the way through December 23rd. Liberal MP from Beaches East York, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, our guest, still pondering running for the Liberal leadership in the province of Ontario. We talk about food insecurity. We talk about something a little different and uh, getting a lot of criticism is a development with Ontario's Attorney General. And uh, we also uh, discuss a Liberal electoral win in the by-election. And Nate also tells us whether he thinks there's going to be a federal election or not in 2023. It's all here on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. Saw a couple stories on TV last night about food banks and still a concern. It was a concern in October around Canadian Thanksgiving. It's getting talked about more now. It should be documented. Um, The federal government and this announcement came last week from the Minister of Agriculture. 79 new projects across Canada that promote food security in Indigenous, remote and northern communities. Um, so these are issues. A lot of people are saying, what's the federal government doing to conquer kind of things like this? We have our uh, biweekly visit right now with Liberal MP for Beaches East York. He is Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. It's great to have you on the show. It's our last one of the year. Thanks for making the time, as always, that you do. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. You know, I mentioned those projects, and uh, and I think we're we're certainly seeing the impacts of uh, of inflationary times. This is a global uh, inflation scenario, but it's up to each particular government, federally, all the way down to municipal, to take care of things. And, and your government is getting more involved in this. I'm sure there'll be more noise in the new year about more that, that, that can be done. Yeah, the projects are important to point to from the Minister of Agriculture. Those will have an impact. I also think people need to recognize that food insecurity is ultimately a result of income insecurity, and we need to continue to bolster our social safety net for low-income Canadians to make sure no one's left behind. And lastly, as we look to the new year and, and the coming budget in, in the spring, I think we should realize the promise we made in this past election in, in the fall of 2021 for a national school food program, that no kid should go hungry as they get to school. It's something that's happened in the States, Nate, that has been quite significant. And whether it's been a Democratic president or Republican president, they've been pretty committed to just kind of school lunch programs or school breakfast programs. I've always wondered, and living there for 10 years, I spotted that in Michigan. It has been something that I think people have asked now for a number of years. Could we do something like that here? And and you're saying we can and we can tackle that. We can and should. It's interesting you mentioned Michigan. I was just on a farm this weekend in southwestern Ontario. My my wife's family, she you know, the farm's in the family since 1834. My father-in-law is still there. Anyway, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and their kids are up from Michigan, and we're all spending time on the farm. They were talking about the school system and, and the lunch program in their schools. It's important that it's provided there, but it's also incredibly important what my sister-in-law was telling me about is that they aren't really emphasizing healthy food. And so the, the mm-hmm. perfect system here is that it is publicly funded to ensure no kid is left behind, ensure no kid goes to school hungry, but also to ensure that it's nutritious food and is going to make sure that kids learn how to eat best and, and that kids are, are healthy throughout their lives couple other federal issues I know uh, we're going to get to, but I also know you've, you've got uh, one I certainly trained on some of the things happening in Ontario right now. And there's been so much. There's been the strong mayor powers. There's been the ongoing concern about building on the green belt. And even last week, kind of a almost a Friday news dump, it was noted the Ford government's assuming complete control over choosing the next chief justice of the Ontario Court of Justice. And that is um, that's nothing that a prior government, conservative or otherwise, 
has done before. So there's a lot of people looking at this. You've got a legal background, obviously, a lot of people looking at this and judges specifically saying this isn't necessarily the way we should do things just arbitrarily without any any sort of um, any sort of discussion or debate about it. A lot of people might ask, how does it affect me? Why does this matter to me? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's because we've seen this government, whether it's the invocation of the notwithstanding clause inappropriately or now this, the the desire to move the appointment of the chief justice entirely within this completely secret process that is entirely controlled by the attorney general. They are taking they're taking procedures, democratic norms, and they are breaking them for no good reason at all. But in this case, the system isn't broken. There is nothing wrong with how the chief justice has been selected throughout the last number of decades. And, and now we're faced with a situation where you have the Association of Ontario Judges, the collection of judges across Ontario. This is, a re- this is a representative organization. And they're saying that the attorney general is inviting members of the judiciary to compromise their ethical obligations. It, you shake your head and you think, don't we have more important things to worry about than breaking things that aren't broken? And, and it's one of those scenarios where usually the current chief justice or the outgoing chief justice is part of the process, is part of is part of, um, if you will, a tribunal that might consider, well, who would be a, a, you know, a great replacement here? What are the pros and cons? But everything is supposed to go directly now, in this case, to the attorney general who was specifically appointed by Doug Ford. There's supposed to be a bit of a separation process there. Right. There's a separation of powers in this country and in democratic countries as between the executive, the the government of the day, and as between the judiciary and as between the legislature. And and what we have here is a situation where, look, when you take a step back, how are judges appointed? Well, there's an independent process in place at the federal level. That process is also being undermined at the provincial level, unfortunately. Uh, But there ought to be an independent process in place where experts from the judiciary, from police forces, from the community come forward and say, here's a short list of potential judges, and then the government can select from that short list. And so there isn't that sort of partisan interference in this process. And and that is a transparent process, ultimately, in terms of uh, how that selection process is intended to work. And here we have a situation where the attorney general is saying, email me quietly, I'll quietly ask questions, and then I'll make my decision. And and that can't possibly be the best the best way forward. It, it's it, as I say, it's it's breaking a system that's been working. You've got a new um, colleague um, in uh, in the House of Commons. He is Charles Sousa, very familiar um, from the Ontario Liberal government. He was finance minister of this province for a while. Um, put on your analyst hat if you can. Do you read anything into? A resounding victory for for Sousa in Mississauga Lakeshore. A lot of people thought, is this a litmus test for Pierre Polyev in Ontario? And I, I wonder if, if it's not, because it didn't seem the Conservatives campaigned terribly hard to get the seat. I was there three times supporting the by-election efforts, and so I was able to knock on doors and, mm-hmm. and hear feedback and see some of the material that was being passed around. And it's interesting because... Pierre Polyev didn't show up. Obviously, Justin Trudeau did. And so to the extent it was a litmus test, I think it was, were we going to see a decline in, in the liberal popular support in that riding? Instead, we saw it increase. So I think as far as that litmus test goes, there I think, are signs of support and continued support for the prime minister as against the conservative leader. And the conservative leader didn't show up. But the materials they were handing out, I will tell you, it, was, it wasn't the local candidate's face. Charles Sousa's face was everywhere and, and on all the campaign literature, but it was the conservative local candidate's name and name alone. Everything else was Pierre Polyev on that literature, including face, all of the promises that were being made by the conservative party. So I, I don't want to overstate the mm-hmm. case by any means, 
But I, but I do think it, it was a litmus test as to is there momentum right now for the conservative leader? And and and, and there wasn't any. Yeah, n- not for that riding, for sure. It's It's been a hard riding to win for the conservatives, no question. But um, yeah, the, the numbers were quite significant. Now, I'm sure there will always be pundits that say, well, tell me what's going to happen federally in, in 2023. Look, 2022 would have been really hard to predict with the Freedom Convoy, the reaction to it, the Emergencies Act, um, the pandemic ending. There's lots of things we couldn't have predicted a year ago at this time. Um, if someone were to predict a federal election next year, what would your reaction to that be? Would you say that's likely or that's tremendously unlikely? I think unlikely. We're going to enter into difficult economic times. We have a cooperation agreement as between the liberal government and the NDP to see through a number of different issues, including dental care support, which has been delivered on. I, I can't imagine that the NDP are going to want to throw the, the agreement aside and enter into an election. And I don't think any Canadian wants an election. I mean, certainly speaking from the Liberal caucus, none of us want an election. We want to continue to deliver for Canadians. And and especially with, with tough economic times ahead, we don't want any distraction, including a distraction with respect to an election. I, I might even make the case contrary to what your your party wants. The Conservatives may want more time to get their leader known, more time to get their message out if they couldn't do it in this recent by-election. I, it just gives them time to plot strategy. I, I think it's fair to say that's that's time, both because of the pandemic and the time that that it took for the election to get called. That's probably time Aaron O'Toole didn't have last time that they might want to give their current leader. You're, you're probably right. And the last federal election was the fall of 2021. I don't think anyone wants an election every two years. And I think it's better for the Conservative Party to lick their wounds in relation to the last by-election and, and to reorganize. For us, it's a matter of delivering for Canadians and governing in the best interests of everyone. The NDP obviously are able to deliver on some small things at the margins and, and some big things in relation to dental care. And at the end of the day, none of us, I'm, I'm saying as a citizen, I don't want an election. I, 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 I want the government to work for us and, 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 and keep working. I got only a minute. The NDP has made their choice for provincial uh, leader. It is something for you. I mean, the Liberals are up next, and they got a big job to do to move from eight seats into a into a more challenging position uh, to govern once again, or maybe even uh, at the next election, be the official leader of the opposition and take some of those NDP seats away. You've pursued this. Are you closer? Are you more close than ever to making a decision on your call? Closer. I I left law for politics federal politics almost 10 years ago because we had a very frustrating conservative majority government in Stephen Harper and a liberal party that needed massive renewal. And fast forward to today and that the parallels exist at the provincial level. And that core question of how does one make the biggest difference? It's, it's hard to think of a bigger difference than helping to seriously renew the Ontario Liberal Party as against the incompetent populism we see at Queen's Park. Having said that, I'm very cognizant that we need to rebuild that party, our party in every corner of the province. And so I've been traveling. I've traveled to Windsor, Sudbury, Thunder Bay, Kenora, Sioux Lookout, Dryden, uh, Hamilton, Mississauga, obviously, a number of times for the by-election. I'm going to Sault Ste. Marie later today. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to make the decision officially one way or the other sometime early in the new year. But the, the goal here, the only way I'm going to do this is if we can build a serious team in every corner of the province. Nate, thanks so much for the time. Have a fun trip to Sault Ste. Marie. It's a good town, and I know we'll get to talk in the new year. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Merry Christmas to you as well, and Happy New Year, everyone. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, our guest, Liberal MP for Beaches, East York.